Hello everybody, good evening, welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black. Um, joining me this evening, uh, we have John Anderson. Good evening, John. Good evening, Cammy. How are you? And Ian Hay. Good evening, Ian. Hello. Um, we um, are broadcasting live currently on um, Twitter, Twitch, uh, YouTube, uh, as well as to our super secret uh, social media group that you can join if you want to, if you sign up for our Patreon. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash Scottish Rugby Podcast, uh, you can sign up for exclusive content um, and ad-free versions of the audio podcast for as little as £3 a month. Uh, if you want to, you can pay a little bit more. You can pay £5 a month and we'll read your name out as a little as a way of saying thank you. Um, you can also get uh, audio versions of the podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify and anywhere else that you can download podcasts. Uh, don't forget, you visit the blog, www.scottishrugbyblog.co.uk as well for all the latest news. Uh, we are also brought to you in association with Manscaped. I'm going to make my little thing come up now. I've got a special little thing that comes up. This is just for people on the video uh, podcast. I had this all lined up before. Where is it? This this is this is dangerous. Go. I've got a little thing coming up whilst you're talking about Manscaped. Manscaped, and there you go. It's a little animation. See, Jim Hamilton's... I was going to say Jim Hamilton's not got that on his Manscaped thing, but he actually has. <laughs> but you have to watch it through the entire of his podcast, so I'm going to turn that off now. It says Manscaped got bush, and then the little... For audio listeners, it says Manscaped got bush, and then a little animation of a razor takes it away. So, yes, we are sponsored by Manscaped. If you go to manscaped.com slash scottishrugby or manscaped.com and enter the code SRP at the checkout, then you can get 20% off plus free shipping on a range of gentlemen's grooming products, such as uh, they do aftershave, they do ball deodorant, they do ball toner. Just um, got, got a knife ice in your cup there, John? I do, yeah, I do. That's not, I, I should say, that John has not got the ice. Uh, John pulled that ice from down below. Have you been manscaping, John? Is that to soothe? <laughs> no, do you know what? I didn't need to pull ice from down below because it was so, so soothing using the <laughs> yeah. ball toner. That's it. <laughs> I should say for um, you know for health purposes, please don't drink the ball toner. <laughs> well, that was the only thing we didn't do with it, to be fair, wasn't it? <laughs> maybe so, yeah, maybe that, um, that'll make band practice interesting next time. <laughs> so yeah, um, like I said, your know, lockdown's over. People are putting themselves back in circulation, so to speak. Maybe you want to you know make yourself feel a little bit better. Summer's coming as well. The weather's heating up. You might want to cool yourself down down there. Um, you know, if you try other brands or you, you've always been curious to try uh, a little electric razor down there instead of maybe a Bic, uh, you know, give it a go. 20% off plus free shipping. John's looking at me shaking his head. I don't know, do, John. I never doubt this is not do, the sort of thing I go in for. Do not go near no, your nuts. I know, in, I know enough of our listeners do go in for this thing, given the, uh, you know, given yeah. the fact that we continue to be sponsored by Manscaped. So. Yeah, most of our listeners will be well aware that uh, myself and Ian have dabbled in this uh, area. And uh, yeah, I can safely say do not ever go near your knackers with a bick. Yeah, especially like, it doesn't matter how many blades it's got on it. It's not going to work, right? It's going to be a bad outcome. You're going to have a bad day. Don't do it. Oh, big bits were always those dead cheap nasty ones, which Aye. you shouldn't even use anywhere near your face. Is that what these? Yeah. I thought they used that. Whenever you see them in like films and that in hospitals, they seem to use. Is always just someone wielding a bick? Or is that just yeah. for comedy no, purposes? Yeah, they're professionals, so. 
Oh, one of the uh, best shaves. Are they I've trained? Ever Is that something you get taught, taught in uh, medical school? Day <laughs> one. So, yeah. 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 I got a really good shave in, in, in the hospital from a, a nurse wielding a bick. Um, but I'm, you're I'm, only I mean, in for an ingrown toenail. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, we're not allowed to mention that. <laughs> Anyway, yes. Um, so that's that's who we're sponsored by. Um, most people, including my mother, uh, who confessed to me, she skips that part of the podcast. But um, you know, obviously, if if you do want to visit there and, and check them out, then that, that that will help us and the podcast. Um, we um, we can just launch it. I, I, I kind of contacted Ian and John and said, "I'm not really sure." This is on Monday, so I don't know what we're going to talk about this week. We've only really got the Scotland um, Italy women's game to talk about but then all the news happened so um we'll start with scotland women versus italy um john and ian it's a incredibly disappointing result and performance um from scotland women i think as there was an opportunity i know they haven't had the best of results against italy in the past but in terms of you know like parity in terms of resource and funding and skills it maybe felt ian a bit more like it was a level playing field than england Going into it anyway, yeah. Given the you know the, the leaps and bounds that Scotland seemed to have made when Philip Doyle was there, and then you know the draw with France, and although you can never really take this as a sort of you know as a true measure, the fact that Italy got beat more by England than we did, um, so you thought, all right, maybe maybe there's a wee sniff of a chance here, um, but it, it was not a good performance at all. Uh, Brian Eason does not seem to have been too pleased about it. <laughs> Um. Yeah, defensively not good enough at all. No. Is what did he put that down to then? Um. So you know, I've, I missed the uh, the pretty because I was taking Ron at work. Um. But from yeah, I've read Gary Heatley's report. Uh, he doesn't seem to know what it was. He's, you know, the, they stressed the importance of starting well because they'd seen that Italy had started well against England. Uh. But then obviously, you know, they conceded two tries within ten minutes. Um, and one of them was off the back of a line-out, which had been one of Scotland's main strengths mm. um, the week, uh, sorry, two weeks prior. Um, so, you know, it's who knows what the problem was, but I, it just looked so disorganised. Um, a bit headless chicken eight times. You you wonder, John, whether or not, you know, obviously they rushed Rachel Markham to injury, and, and you do wonder, it's such a... A kind of uh, random collection of players from different backgrounds of Scotland squad at the minute, where you've got a lot of professional players with a lot of experience, and you wonder whether or not the loss of someone like Rachel Markham, who maybe does a lot more of the talking and the organising, is you know maybe hit them quite hard. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. You would expect better, though. There is enough. There's enough professional players in there that you would expect the they would be able to pick up some of the slack. I, I know Rachel Malcolm's a huge part of that squad and, uh, you know, as you say, is is heavily involved in the organisation. Um, really a talismanic, uh, talismanic, talismanic? Oh, let's go with it. Uh, figure. Yeah, thanks Ian for the thumbs up. Um, <laughs> but obviously they were missing, there, there's, there's people missing and it does feel, it's really frustrating because it feels like a backward step again whilst the results haven't been there, the performances have at times been there. But I'm going to finish on a positive here because this is uh, a new thing for me. Be positive, eh? 
Um, someone recently said to me that uh, taking a step back um, is is not um, is not a bad thing. It's just your uh, two steps forward, one step back is just the steps of a tango. So you're just doing a dance. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, um, I, th- I think I think the the concerning thing is that there isn't a clear reason why you know sometimes you come away from games where you've maybe expected to be competitive and it just hasn't went your way and you can pinpoint one or two areas that definitely you know if they'd went right you would have been there or thereabouts but there doesn't seem to be anything clearly there so there's a bit of work needed and probably the the, the worry is that the girls don't necessarily have as much contact with the coach as as, as maybe the male their male counterparts do so fixing that might be a bit more of an issue yeah i mean we'll, we'll come on to the the structural issues within scotland women's rugby it might be a good thing to talk about in conjunction with some other bits of news about finances this week um but i you wonder as well in whether or not there's a, an element of them being found out i mean that's always the the difficult i suppose when you're a, a team like scotland who are kind of developing that you you have like the result against France, and you, you know they give England a, a couple of scares defensively that, that Italy would would come into the game maybe better prepared than they would have been in the past, and and would know like you said the red obviously read the line out early on so when, maybe that's what Scotland are going to have to work on is the element of surprise now and the element of you know teams are going to come now better prepared because they're going to expect that Scotland will give them a game. Um, I mean that is one side to it. I think the biggest issue though is um, staying focused and maintaining the level for 80 minutes because we saw that against France but against Italy we certainly didn't you know Scotland got so close to to, to you know being level there were two points they, they should have gone in at half time two points down uh, make a, an absolute arse of the restart um, and then there's a try and then you know straight straight away in the second half um switch off at a ruck, uh, Rigoni bursts through another try. It just seemed to be every time Italy got into the um, Scotland half, they came away with points. Um, and it is, it's just about maintaining focus throughout the full 80 minutes. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that. I suppose we've seen that. That's not necessarily a problem John can find to women's rugby <laughs> or the women's, the women's international team. It's, it, you know, that kind of mental doggedness and that mental focus for 80 minutes is something that's kind of haunted Scottish rugby teams at pro level, at club level, at, you know, for, for donkey's years. Yeah, it's funny because I think we're in a situation just now where almost so it's like we can never have all the good things at once. So the national team seem to have got more of a handle on it whilst you know, we're, we're probably a couple of silly, mis- not silly mistakes, but a couple of rash decisions away from, you know, we've talked about it, um, a, a grand slam potentially. Uh, and on the other hand, the pro teams, Glasgow and Edinburgh, are almost doing a, a show and tell of how not to do um, mental discipline. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the women's game, probably feels a lot like what Scotland, Scotland's national team and, and pro teams have been like in the past. Um, you do wonder if there's um, maybe a, 
I don't know, maybe a, maybe an argument to be made for um, investing yet again that argument of investing maybe in some um, mental coaching um, that would be a shared resource across all the national teams and maybe even the pro teams. But I would be kind of reticent to do that because obviously Richard Cockrell would steal the person. So, you know, um, that would probably result in nobody else getting access to them. What are you saying? Well, because of the deep psychological damage that Richard Cockrell causes <laughs> to all these players? I, I'm just suggesting that Cockrell quite often sees something he likes and uh, whinges and moans enough to till um, his uh, uppers give him what he wants. Well, moving on from the end, uh, I'll come back to we. I'll, I'll 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 spend the rest of the podcast now thinking of a an anti Glasgow dig just to read that rebalance the force, John. Um, <laughs> but it is. I mean, it is structurally that there have. I suppose that there have been those problems in Scottish rugby uh, across the game in for a long time now. And like John was saying, it could be. It is some an area that needs investment. And there almost seems to be a reluctance to invest in it. I mean, Gregor Townsend had to go out and get his own guy in as a, to act as a consultant and Damien Hughes, but we don't necessarily seem to have anybody doing that in-house. Yeah, they'd probably need a psychologist themselves after dealing with their players. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it's something we've, we've seemed to be miles behind. You know, of course, Jason O'Halloran quite famously said, you know, we seem to be 20 years behind. Um, another thing that like John was saying, well, could, could we maybe just loan out Steve Tandy? Being an being an international defence coach can't can't take up all your time, can it? Could maybe just just as a sort of ad hoc sort of pro bono pro bono. That's the right term. Yeah, but yeah. just keep them at hand. Um, it does seem like we should be using our resources a bit more effectively, actually. And but I the, think one of the main things as well, like there's a number of the players in the Scotland squads are unattached they don't have clubs at the moment so you know bearing in mind the fact that they've obviously had very little training time just with scotland they've had very little training time or we don't know if they've had any training time uh with a club even to to try and stay fresh um so an element of ring rust but you know it's we can't we have to admit we kind of got blown away there yeah, I mean Wales is another opportunity this weekend. That's that's going to be the first, the game's going to be live on BBC Scotland, um, BBC Two Scotland, I think, um, on Saturday. Um, that I, I saw a couple of people on Twitter suggest that that's due to pressure from um, everybody saying why haven't the women's games been on telly? But actually, that's always been the plan from the very off. Scheduled right from the off. Yeah, the last yeah. game will always be on telly. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Wales have had a pretty poor tournament as well. John, it's I get it's probably I mean you want to say a must-win game for Scotland, but really they have to put something up against Wales. Do you know what I think? We're we're beyond the point of a must-win game. I think we've got to really just put in a performance um, and see what happens. I think the it's acceptable to say you know most probably most of the women have not had. Very, they've not they've not played in uh, over a year. You know, coming into that that first fixture, it takes time. It takes time to rebuild after that, and they've been heavily hit by the COVID uh, situation. So, you know, I think there has to be a degree of pragmatism that like results were never just going to. It took us a long time to be building to being competitive. 
So results were never just going to happen overnight, having had that massive setback that we couldn't necessarily mitigate as well as maybe some of the other big countries could. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, um, I mean, I don't know if this is a good chance to talk about finances now because obviously there are structural issues within the women's game within Scotland. I mean, even even within the world, and that's kind of, there's a couple of big news items come out this week, one in Scotland and then one to come out today about um, kind of finances in world rugby. But, I mean, the the there was a, a suggestion that Scotland were looking at entering a team into the Premier 15s in as a developmental side, I guess. But that money has to come from somewhere, I guess, John, doesn't it? But 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 it but it would be a worthwhile investment if, if the SIU are actually committed to growing the women's game. It would, perhaps it would be, yeah. There's more to be. So if we think about easy gains, right? Quite often with investment, you're looking at easy gains. The the male games established, the the the, the pro games established. We have to varying degrees funding for those those enterprises the we're essentially saying that almost well over 50 percent of your potential supporter base um if you were to put out a competitive women's team you, you you encourage so many more people to the game that have not had necessarily the opportunity to be involved in the game so it's it's such an the the gains from that investment are so much greater than you know say you invest just going to throw a hypothetical figure. Let's say a pro club, a pro club figure, five million, right? Throw five five million at the women's game. The amount of gains you could get from that five million vastly outweigh what you know Cockrell or uh, Danny Wilson would get from spending five million on their squads at Glasgow or Edinburgh because you know Leinster are still going to win the title um, and. Where five million on the national team? What we're going to get a few more consultants, a few more coaches who are then going to get, you know, poached for their national teams that they, they originally are from. You know, somebody comes over to Scotland, does well, they'll go back to South Africa, they'll go back to New Zealand, they'll go back to France. Um, I think we should be really, really investing in the women's game, and with that as well, we should be investing in sevens. And that that's a whole different argument, but Sevens is still such a good pathway that we've underutilized. Yeah. I mean we'll come on to we'll probably come on to that in a minute when we talk about the World Rugby announcement. Well, not the announcement, but the leak that's come out of World Rugby today as well. But I mean the, the thing that's come out this week, Ian, is the suggestion that the Scottish government have given the SIU fifty million pounds in grants and loans. And it's fifteen million grants, five million loans. Okay, so twenty million in total. Twenty million total. So the news yesterday on the offside line was that the clubs, or a lot of clubs, had not had any money filtered through to them or any mechanism by which to apply for that money from the SRU. Um, the news today, again on the offside line, seems to be that there is going to be some further announcement about this, and it's going to be spread out over the next five years? Yes, an unprecedented uh, input into the club game spread over the next five years. Um, and of course, well, this letter 
was sent to Dominic Mackay on. Well, will we go into the Freedom of Information Act stuff now, or yeah, go just, on. Let's start with that. Yeah, let's just. Um, <laughs> hmm. So yes, uh, a Freedom of Information Act request was put in, and it seems that on the twentieth of January, a letter was sent to Dominic Mackay, um, informing him of uh, how much money they were getting, um, and. Um, a lot of it was to assist rugby clubs and organisations across Scotland in dealing with the financial impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Nothing was told uh, to the clubs um, about this until uh, Thursday the 15th of April. So they've been sitting on this for about three months. Uh, There's already a massive delay in the 1920 accounts being released, um, which went against the charter because it's meant to be uh, discussed at the AGM within th- four calendar months. Yep. Yeah, four calendar months. Yep. Um, and it was, I think it ended up about 180 days. Um, so, that yeah, there's a number of worrying things. I'd, I'd recommend you go and read the article on the offside line uh, where you can see all the detail, or otherwise I'd just be sitting here reading stuff for about 10 minutes and you'd be bored to tears <laughs> if you're not already. Um, but it does seem like another PR disaster emanating from, from Roseburn Terrace. <laughs> yeah. It's communicating. It just, it's biggest belief that we're here yet again. And, you know, I, it's not, it wouldn't be hard to say, to put something out at the end of December that said, we've received this money and we are working on ways to distribute that. I'm slightly sceptical as to why something that, that's designed to help rugby clubs recover from COVID, the impacts of COVID-19 needs to be spread over five years. Rather yes. that because because in five years, unless unless we're all still like you know socially distanced and there's still no no club rugby happening in five years, it, it's I don't understand why we would still be feeling the effects of that at, at club rugby level in five years time. Whereas that money presumably is there to plug the gap in the lack of revenue the clubs have been able to receive from gate receipts and just you know functions being cancelled because a lot of clubhouses get used for weddings and other. You know, other bits and bobs, but the five-year thing puzzles me because, I mean, the money's just going to be sat in the SIU's bank. It's almost in the meantime, like, almost yeah. like there's a hole to plug. Mm, yes, it's almost like they don't. Uh, they don't. The money is to... just the Father Ted defense, isn't it? <laughs> so Mark Dodson <laughs> sat there with the money was just resting in our accounts. It was resting in our accounts. Yeah, it does. It seems like a very strange one, like. Let's be honest, if we are having to do a virtual big club dinner in five years' time uh, to raise money for clubs, then, like, something's went hella wrong, really. Um, Yeah, there's, you know, I think we're almost at the point now where it's, you know, the the givens in life are life, uh, you know, birth, death, taxes, and SRUPR disasters, because they just, they seem to misread the optic of things all the time. It can't be that difficult just to do it right. Other companies manage. Um, it's insane. There was a suggestion, I think, with the Keith Russell thing, and we carefully choose my words here. I think there was a suggestion in some of the interviews Keith Russell did at the time that the, the SRU have perhaps in the past maybe played fast and loose with some um, the terms of some grant funding that they've received from the government. And like you said, in the letter that they have received from the Scottish government giving them the money 
is specifically states it's to be used to prevent against the impacts of the financial impacts of COVID nineteen for men's and women's rugby, club rugby, rather than there to be used to, you know, pay part of someone's wage in a pro- the pro team. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I've just come across an interesting paragraph as I was scrolling through the the segment that's been put on the offside line. Um, rugby clubs receiving funding. Obviously, this you know only pertains to the domestic clubs, you know, the, the amateur clubs. But, um, you know, if it's this rule for them, why is it a different rule for the pro teams? When I read this, you'll understand what I mean. Um, rugby clubs receiving funding hereby provide an undertaking to the Scottish Rugby Union that the full grant amount will only be used to support ongoing club rugby-related operations, will not be used to fund any player transfer fees prior to the end of the 2021 season, and will not be withdrawn from clubs by owners or directors. Um, how much have we spent on players since? How much have the pro team spent on? <laughs> I was going to new could just say and... prior to the end of the twenty twenty one season. That's an interesting point that I hadn't picked up. Could there be an argument that all the new signings, i.e., the players coming in, and you could even argue that contract renewals are not in this tax-deductible year, they would be in next year, which would be the 2021-2022 season. So therefore, and they're not breaching their terms. They're actually doing... They're maybe not acting morally, but... <laughs> Whether or not there's been a delay in transfers to April on... I mean, there was a delay in Glasgow announcing a lot of transfers. It was difficult to get them over the line, in inverted commas. Yeah, um, but I mean, the, the, the money's sitting there and, and there's lots of players coming in next season and you could argue that like guys like Hamish Watson, guys like Scott Cummings having new contracts, that, that's a new contract that goes into next year's money, not this year's. So that money could well be just sitting there ready to be used if it happens to exist. Um, but, it's all dodgy really, isn't it? Let's, just, let's just call it what it is. It's dodgy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's either this... negligent, ignorant, or corrupt. <laughs> you know, and none, none, none of those are good things. Nope, nope, none of those. Ian, it is completely and utterly accidental negligence. And if, if you're acting in an if you're acting in an open, honest, and transparent way, then we would have the exist. We, we would have known about this well. And I mean, we knew that the money that they'd been given the money. I think that, but I don't think that. I think it just kind of the clubs got fed up of waiting, and so they were, where is it? Do you know what I mean? We know the money's been given, and then. That's when this letter's come out specifically stating what the money's to be used for. And the club's quite rightly saying, well, why haven't we had it yet? We struggle, they're all struggling onwards. Some of them struggling to pay the bills, you know, keep the keep the club light, you know, the, the lights on in the clubhouse. So... Um, sorry, there's... A, by the 24th of February, Dodson was telling journalists that the grant money had been received in full and that... We have had a material grant from government that has allowed us to repair our balance sheet to a certain extent, and that has been enormously helpful. So that does sound like, you know, they've been absorbing some because, if like so, any any of the potential transfer stuff that could be coming from loans, okay, yeah. the five million loan, then how are they paying off? I mean, obviously they've got this massive shortfall as. A five million shortfall in ticket revenue alone from nineteen twenty year to eighteen nineteen, um, but then sh- 
surely then think, they're absorbing some of the grant money into running costs. I think what they can do, what they can argue, what they can argue, and this is where I think the clubs would would get quite rightly be very annoyed about it. What the SRU would no doubt argue is to maintain the infrastructure, which includes club development work, and everybody that goes into running the SRU and keeping the SRU running. That that in the to the letter of what they're allowed to use it for, they, they could probably make an argument that they can use it to pay cover wages for club development work and guys like Ben and Tiga who are there as player liaison and stuff like that, they could argue that is there for the betterment of club rugby. It's it's not necessarily... I, the clubs would likely disagree with that and they, they would have good reason to as well. I think the reason the clubs are getting upset is because they are having no say in how the money's being used. So there's been no discussion... And ultimately, there the you know the, the, we've said this a number of times on this podcast. The clubs are the union. The union doesn't yeah. exist without the clubs because the clubs make up the union. So there has been no discussion with the clubs to say, "Look, this money's been given us to fund you, but look over here, we've got this five million shortfall that we really need just to kind of pay these guys their wages." They're the club development guys, and but we will eventually filter the money down to you through other means. The clubs might have been happy with that and said, okay, that's fine, but we do need something. And then some of them must have really struggled in the meantime. You know, some clubs have done a, a fantastic job of fundraising over COVID-19, have kept themselves run, kept themselves afloat. There are other clubs who maybe aren't so lucky for one reason or another to have the same level of support or well as well-financed supporters that are able to put the same money into the club who might need that money more urgently. So you can understand why if it, it's not, it's not Mark Dodson's money to spend. And so in these crisis times, there should have been a, a, a what do you call it, an, an emergency general meeting, I guess, to say the, this money's coming. We, we're proposing to spend it in this way. Do you all agree? So it's almost like if you gave the clubs a say and, uh, <laughs> and told them exactly what was going on and were honest and transparent about things that you might have got a better outcome yep. for that, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like if you if you were forced to work with the clubs rather than dismiss them and try out of hand and alienate them to the point where they're they're at the, the verge of revolting. Yet again. Yeah. Oh, not 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 even for the first time this year. <laughs> like oh, it's I mean, how many times are we gonna go down this route of dodgy dealings? Like, you know, Back to the Keith Russell affair. Wait, there's there's stuff we don't know about that, that what happens, but the absolute facts were that the SRU played hard and loose with, you know, policy basically, or didn't have any policy with the um, law mainly. With the law, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's just guidelines, yeah. really, isn't it? <laughs> so essentially, there was a the, the there was a remote meeting of the SRU council, which is the clubs. You know, all the representatives for the clubs turn up was arranged last Tuesday, which is the 13th of April, so that um, Mark Dodson could give a presentation on the matter. Um, Ian Barr, who's the president of the SIU, uh, asked that everyone should have sight of the irrelevant paperwork uh, related to the grant before the meeting, but it appears this information was not forthcoming and the meeting was cancelled at late notice. Uh, there's now going to be a new meeting uh, tomorrow that has been set, so no doubt we'll get more information after that. But it's just, yeah. I think at the minute the well, it has always been the case that it, 
somebody really needs to come in and start being much more transparent at the top. I think Ian Barr, the NUSIU president, seems to be trying to steer it in that direction. But you know, we wish him the best of luck with that. <laughs> A, 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 an innocent man hath nothing to hide. I know it's that thing. I just you know you would think that you know starting an open in a, an open dialogue with the clubs about the you know the realities of keeping the SRU afloat and the fact that national rugby makes all the money and yep. you know you don't find well most of the clubs would have been fine with that. Like mm-hmm. if you if you went to them and said right we've got this fifteen million right and it's for you guys and you'll get it at some point. But ultimately, we've got a massive shortfall to plug this year. Um, we're going to take a big chunk and we're going to do that with it. And then we're going to release money to you over a five-year window. Um, it's going to give you, yeah, you are not going to get an immediate payout, but you're going to get it over a five-year window. It's in writing. It's agreed. Everybody would have went, do you know what? Fine. Or even we're going to hold on to it until Peter Vardy gives us a big load of money. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's that. Essentially, yep. that's the kind of stuff that's yep. probably happened. But yep. without the trans, without saying we've got money coming in down the line, but for the minute we just need to hold on to this for a few months just to stay afloat. But we have got revenue streams that are coming back online, and at that point, <laughs> is there God and we need we need Martin Comston and the AC12 to come in and sort out the SIU. You're not wrong. That's that, that's they the have, next. Uh, they have season. Price Water House Cooper. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're gonna do a we're gonna do a Scottish rugby special of line of duty. <laughs> Just be me, me, me and John. Oh, very good try line of duty. There's the title for this week's podcast. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> well, um, it's be me, you, and John, kind of running and sliding across car bonnets in the Murrayfield <gasps> car park and storming the oh. storming the offices. I kind of want to do that now. <laughs> Everybody freeze! Stop your admin. Some, need some good copper power. <laughs> Put down the Excel spreadsheet oh, and, and all the acronyms. If you don't want to do it proper AC twelve style, all the acronyms. Ah, yeah, you can't can't speak in whole words. You just need no. to absolutely acronym everything. There's, there's criminals out there. Who's all those extra sell, syllables? It's taking up time. Exactly. Yeah. It's effective and efficient. Very good. Okay, the other bit of news uh, that's come out today. Um, we managed 24 hours, I reckon, in rugby. Well, less than that in Scottish rugby. While you know, football was a complete joke. Uh, and yeah. then, yeah. So, like you said, Ian, on Twitter, the SRU just got fed up of not being in the headlines. <laughs> um, the big news today is that World Rugby are holding uh, talks with banks about a new investment uh, in, and essentially, they they've gone to. Barclays, Jeffries, and Rothschilds, uh, and pitched for a role as advisor to World Rugby. The idea is to um, sell off the right part of the commercial rights to attach to the Rugby World Cup, as well as International Sevens Rugby. Um, the sale one source said the sale of the equity stake in a new commercial entity, which has held the commercial rights to men's and women's Rugby World Cups, was unlikely to be the governing body's preferred choice. But the idea is expected to draw significant interest from buyout firms, particularly those with an existing interest in the sport. So, the World Rugby selling part of itself off to try and get more funding, more money. Pretty much. Pretty much. I, I get the need to grow the sport, but 
the, the there has to come a time, I think, for rugby where it has to try and live within its means. Yeah, we we can't we we there's almost this growing desire to be like like football. Like we have to try and create all these com- competitions and do everything that football does, and we have to have massive transfer fees and massive wages and you know huge TV deals, and it's it's all ridiculous. Like football is a house of cards waiting to collapse, as has been shown in the last two days. Um, it is it is one bad decision by an owner away from absolutely imploding, and rugby doesn't want to go down that route because we have some fairly sketchy owners in rugby. Over like, particularly in the club game, there's some interesting people out there. Let's let's not give them the opportunity to destroy the game, please. Yeah, and it does seem. Daft. I mean, I, th- I think at the, at the point at which I think England, um, the RFU anyway, I think are still in financial trouble because of the money it cost them to host the 2015 Rugby World Cup, Ian, which seems utterly mad that something that should be a revenue-generating enterprise kind of almost sends one of the biggest unions in the world bankrupt. Um, yeah, well, it's the same with uh, the Brazil Brazilian World Cup um, because in that instance, FIFA filtered off most of their money. Um, but I mean, I think for me, this kind of signals the, the death knell of any chance of a World Cup being played in a smaller country. It'll always be about the one who can provide the best financial package, like as it was with France winning the 2023 deal. Yep. We, won't, we won't go over the whole we should have voted for Ireland debacle again because <laughs> we shouldn't have. Um, but you know, if, uh, it was between France and South Africa, really, and they went chasing the money. Um, and to me, this says that again they'll try and do that. And I think this is this is the final roll of the dice to try and break into the American market. I reckon. I think the problem. I don't understand why the, the continued insistence on trying to f- kind of force it with fifteens, though. Because 15s rugby, to me, is too close to the NFL. I know they're not the same sport, but in terms of what you're asking people to do in terms of investing time and the stopping and the starting of it and the the intricacies of the play, you're essentially asking people to kind of switch from what is an established sport in the US, a long-established sport in the US, to something that's not that much different realistically. Whereas the... The thing that they've tried, but I don't think they, they it failed massively for for other reasons. But but sevens to me is the game that is that's the event, right? That's the one that is the it's more exciting to watch. It's an easier sell. It's a if especially from a stadium point of view, it's a day out because you're not you get to watch games back to back. It's 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 not it's not as hard to understand. There must be a bigger global market for for sevens than there is for 15s we've said this so many times on here that sevens is right so we're all are we rugby purists will we will we dub ourselves rugby purists possibly uh, i want no. more rugby tens that's what i want uh, rugby tens <laughs> yeah rugby x <laughs> um sevens is very entertaining and it is it's a cracking day out and it's a much more americanized it's 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 funny that it was made in you know, 
the borders of Scotland, <laughs> but it's actually ripe to be an American style sport. Um, golf, mate. Don't forget golf. I, yeah. but I mean, Americans do. They do golf differently, don't they? <laughs> but no, I think sevens absolutely is the sport. I see if you could if you could really market sevens proper properly. There's your revenue. There, you know that that travels the sport. You've got Hong Kong, Japan, America. There's your your key markets. Yeah, Japan have got a, a heavy interest in fifteens, but that's because every company in all of Japan wants to have a team filled with former All Blacks, which is a bit strange. Um, so no sevens is the way it's the way to go. Yeah. I mean, it's the way you know you get much more. You you get your Twitter and YouTube social media friendly quick clips more easily. It's you can have greater parity between the men and the women's game because you can play the games one you know alternate games and two tournaments concurrently across the same weekend. Is there an you can dip in and out. Even, you can you could even play games um, rather than saying we have a gender segregated games of rugby could you even play sevens as a gender um both men and women playing in the same game there's a speculator speculatory comment for you i mean it's a safer form of the game certainly that's the other it's more about speed you know it's more about speed the the call you don't necessarily see the absolutely ridiculous smashing hits that you see in 15s so it is a safer form of the game yeah, and it's not, and that's that's the difficulty that rugby 15s has at the minute to sell itself globally is that you've got all these stories about head concussions and massive collisions and these huge guys playing the sport. So, if you're going to get, for example, like someone like my wife, say, like what, what you know, who reads that's what she reads in The Guardian is it's all about concussions and stuff, quite rightly. And there's a lot of people you speak to, you know, I support rugby, or oh, what about all the head knocks? You know, it's not looking good. And we've seen what happened to the popularity of boxing. You know, the wider popularity of boxing over the last decade or so has absolutely plummeted because everyone suddenly realised what a brutal sport it is. Whereas with sevens, it's not. I don't. It's not the same, Ian. I don't think it'd be much easier to sell to people. Well, plus you've also got um, the added bonus of Olympic exposure there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, now that you've mentioned all that concussion thing, now I'm thinking this is why they're doing this. this they're trying to maximise as much revenue as possible for when the lawsuits come in. Yeah, 100%. Um, no, it's, it's a much easier form of game to understand, and it's you know, it's not going to set as much as we might enjoy a wee bit of a, a kicking game, a tactical kicking game. Some people will refer to it as kick tennis or whatever, and you know, fans even started booing at the France England Autumn Nations Cup game. Um, they did not. That's that's yeah. hearsay, and they did not. Fans don't boo at games. <laughs> Well, I forgot I mean, there were fans at that mid- game. I was just about to say, was yeah. not the sound guy having a bit of fun? I actually forgot there were some fans <laughs> at that game, wasn't well, there? Yeah, there was a few, yeah. Was That's mad, isn't it? We had game fans at games in the autumn. Yeah, and then look what happened there, eh? I know, um, that went well. Um, but where were we? What, um, I just, is, is Sevens a way forward? Is that where we're going to grow the game? I think that's what we say. I think that they're missing, World Rugby are missing the trick in not saying this is, this is the product that we could take out from rugby and and say to the world, look, this is this is the main product we're going to put forward. That you, you carry on with the Six Nations and all of that, but the one you push into your new markets and elsewhere is is sevens, and you don't put it behind a paywall. 
because yeah. that's the only, the only way you can see it at the minute was on Sky. I think this, well, it used to be on Sky. I think the so, tour yeah, wasn't it? Was on it? Sky Sports, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, nobody's you probably get nobody's watching that unless you've got a Sky Sports subscription. The only, the only sevens you watch, like in nor in normal peacetime, the only sevens you watch was the the Melrose Sevens. Yeah, and and that's a that's a cracking afternoon on the BBC. And that used to get decent. That used to get decent coverage as well, and decent decent viewing figures as well. If you think of some of the players you've seen like playing at Melrose on the BBC, you know you, it's it's a great introductory for basically cracking players playing the sevens. New, and the new kind of idea for this Melrose sevens is is quite um, an interesting one because they're going to have two tournaments running. So there's the traditional Melrose sevens where you get you know the invitation for your Ember clubs and your Borders clubs to come along and play like they always have, but they're, they're going to kind of create this almost kind of semi-pro level now where you, you're going to have... Before, when they'd invite Saracens up, Ali Price won. Did you know Ali Price won the Melrose Sevens with uh, Saracens? With Saris, he did, yeah, yeah. There's a wee picture of him, bless him. There's, He's in the same team as Duncan Taylor was in that team as well, I think. Yeah. was I, I've got a fleeting memory of, right, what was the Edinburgh scrum half, the really, really, really annoying one with the blonde, stupid hair? From a couple of seasons ago, you know, you know the what exactly the one I mean. I mean, um, Fowles, Fowles, Nathan Fowles. I think he won the sevens. Yeah, there's some big names have won the sevens. So I think the idea is they're going to have the invitational tournament is going to be more global now, and they're going to try and bring in, you know, get like Glasgow Warriors to send sevens down, but play against kind of say, a, you know, a, a team from Fiji and. I mean, when you've won it, won it twice in a row, you know it's, <laughs> it's it's hard. I suppose we've got to make it competitive, you know. Yeah, but that's the fun of them. You know, some of the Melrose summaries, you've got guys like Nico Matawala playing against you know Watsonians. You know, it's, <laughs> it's good fun. Did, did you see Carlo Niles at that when he that was, was amazing? Yeah. He was, was a warrior just, at the time. It's like, oh no, oh no, there's too much room for him. He's just going to. I mean, one like he tried to run down the left wing, found it, you know. Th- all avenues were shut down. So he just ran. It was like a computer game. He just ran across to the right wing. You and me's idea of too much room for him was very much different to what his view of too much room was. So, I reckon that's the only the only reason Gregor Townsend signed Colin Isles was just so Glasgow Warriors could win the Melrose Sevens. So, so, uh, Two years in a row, yeah. The most boring thing ever. I'm, I'm, I'm was, determined. How can I win the? How can I win the Melrose Sevens? How can I troll Melrose was, whilst was managing Niles, Glasgow Warriors? Was Carla Niles and Nico in the same team? I think they were different years. Unless yeah. they did it twice. It's the sort of thing Nico would do twice just for a laugh, uh, just yeah. for a day out. <laughs> But that's the answer. We've solved World Rugby's problem. If anyone's watching from World Rugby, just invest more in sevens. Push sevens. They should invite, they should invite that um, Fiji Drua. You know, have you seen this? The the two Pacifica, uh, yeah, Pacifica teams. franchises that they're trying to get into Super, Super Rugby because the South Africans are off elsewhere. We're more on that in a minute. Segwaying slightly in their cam. <laughs> I know. We'll uh, we'll come on to the Fiji Drua thing. But as, as John says, while we're talking about... Uh, South African teams and where they may be up to. Uh, we're going to. I've got a new. I've got a new jingle prepared. Here we go. Rainbow. 
Yes, the Rainbow Cup. That's <laughs> I what I thought I'd do to cover the Rainbow Cup. I did have a black wristband on, and then when I came on with Cam, I immediately went, boom, Rainbow wristbands. <laughs> so at this stage, and I haven't checked Twitter since we've been on uh, on air, the Rainbow Cup is still happening. There was supposedly going to be some sort of announcement today that says that it's not going ahead. But as of time of recording, and I'm just double-checking this now, there has been no official announcement as to whether or not this is happening or not. So the Rainbow Cup, um, for those of you who don't know, um, is the it's a, a competition of the Pro 14 Plus teams from South Africa um, who are joining the Pro, well, proposed to join the Pro 14 um, at the end of the season uh, for next season anyway, which would make it the Pro 18. We've got my 16, numbers right. Pro 16, because they got rid of that's right. Oh, no, the two, two, the two South African and replacing before, haven't they? So Pro 16. Um, so it's kind of like an interim tournament to kind of bridge the gap between the end of the Pro 14 and summer rugby, which ended up being the Pro 12 because the two South African teams left early anyway. So yes. Here we are. It's all a mess. Anyway, so anyway, the, the, it turns out that the South African teams can go to Ireland and Scotland and even Italy, but the English government will not let them base themselves in Bristol, which is where they want to be, be based. The, the rumours come from South Africa as every other government involved was happy for them to travel to play these games, apart from the English government, who obviously doesn't have any skin in the game, who said, no, you can't base yourself in Bristol. Would they not just base themselves across the border on Wales then? Where though, I guess. It's kind of finding facilities in Wales. I mean, you know, Wales, Wales, Wales is Abergavenny RFC oh, shed Celtic. at the back for the Blues. Celtic, or... Celtic Manor. The, oh, the I mean, ah, yeah, you, could, you could go for that. Or, I mean, you could just make it a proper jolly and just like tour about Wales. Just like going to random rugby clubs and using their facilities, you know, turning up and be like, ah, oh, yeah, so this is the best. <laughs> here's, here's a, a Khaleesi um, rocking up for training at some poor wee club in Aberystwyth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, at this stage, um, the, the, there are fixtures scheduled to go ahead at the weekend with all the South African teams playing each other. I think some of the concern is about even internal travel within South Africa might be difficult at this stage as well. Um, but the Pro 12 teams, the Italian, the Welsh, the Irish and the <coughs> Scottish teams are playing each other. So Glasgow are playing Bennett and Edinburgh are playing either of you know? Uh, Zebra. Zebra. So Scottish teams are playing the Italian teams this weekend and then it's two back-to-back 1872s after that, isn't it? Yes. Again, yeah. my prediction at the start of the season that we would play 15 1872 games, it would be it would be like an American franchise, you know, like you know, like the World Series is the best of seven. We're going to do best of fifteen. Yeah, sounds like another competition that somebody was suggesting just the other day. There, um, that's been in the news. <laughs> We're only going to play one team. That's that's all we want to do. Yeah. Um, so at this stage, we don't know what this cup is going to end up being. A farce. It's not a farce. <laughs> the farce cup. 
it's going to be like I said, it's just going to be a series of friendlies until Leinster are given a trophy. <laughs> yes, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Oh, Leinster have already won it, haven't they? So, yeah, probably. Although they haven't won the Rainbow Cup yet, so it, it causes some diff. I guess it causes some difficulties for the South African teams who are desperate to get fixtures in under the belts before the Lions tour. Because otherwise, the Springboks are going to be severely lacking match practice. Because that's going ahead, also. <laughs> that needs that that needs to get to the squad announcement so that everybody who listens to this podcast, including me, can claim our money when Chris Harris is named in the squad. Absolutely, yeah. Don't yep. care what happens after the squad announcement, so long as I want my money. I I I had a, a, a slightly segued thought just the way we mentioned. Are we doing? Are we doing line chat? Just as an aside, just there's no Lions chat tonight, is there? We're not doing we a jingle. Do, we've got some. Lee, I've got some Lions chat later on in hands in the ruck, so we can. Do you want me to? I mean, if you want Lions chat, I can do the. You can do the jingle if you want, John. <laughs> oh, that's what I want. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, okay. that's what I'm going Let's for. It's the legally mandated Lions chat. The legally mandated Lions chat. We've heard so much about it that it makes us sick. But we've still got a chat about who Gatlin's gonna pay. Go on then, John. It's legally mandated lines chat. So I was thinking about the fact that Hamish Watson is now the the ultimate like basically the ultimate warrior of the Lions in twenty twenty one. He is he's going to be a lion in everyone's book. And then I was thinking about how ridiculous is it that he signed a undisclosed length of contract with Edinburgh yet again? And I'm five, yeah, we're four or five years ridiculous. So what we're thinking is it five years? I that is it's five. Utterly oh, no, ridiculous. No, that was Jamie. That was Jamie Ritchie. Jamie Ritchie's, yeah. Jamie, Jamie Ritchie's. He's he's basically a lifer now. Well, he's like uh, Watson's three, I'm sure. Yeah. So I'm wondering. I think I think maybe Edinburgh SRU and Mr. Watson have played a smart game here. Mr. Watson's going to go in a Lions tour, and then his value will go up, and then he might get poached by a a, a, a club down south. And with a couple of years on a contract, <laughs> quids in. I think it's a new tactic from our overlords. Yeah. I think they might be being, they might actually be forward planning here. Who would have thought it? There was a suggestion, wasn't there? I think that the um, I think it was Danny Wilson was saying that that's part of the reason why they've decided not to announce contract lengths at the SIU. One is because it's play, sometimes it's players' choice that they don't want the stress of kind of having speculation around when the contract's going to end. But also the other side of it is that it kind of helps the SRU from a transfer point of view because, one, they don't have clubs sniffing around, and when clubs do come sniffing around, they could basically demand whatever they want. So like, if you know that there's only two years left on Hamish Watson's contract, for example, after Lions 2, and you're saying, right, well, we'll pay out the two years left on his contract, but if it's an undisclosed time period, the SRU can presumably, within reason, name the price, essentially. So well, we want compensation for the rest of his contract plus... Plus X. So what you're saying is our patented uh, working out the SRU's nonsense calculator is and we helping. diddled them out of millions I mean we're, you know, we're, yeah, the, we're the reason we're the reason they've had to apply for a loan and a grant <laughs> what have we done I know yeah English Premiership now owes us millions of bucks I did enjoy did you see that speaking of lines did you see the the, the RFU review of their um, 
their poor five nations, six nations campaign. One of which was um, they needed to do uh, more work in the breakdown, including building lower body strength. And I was like, essentially, what you're saying is Tom Curry's crap and Hamish Watson's better. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the review. Tom Curry is a bit crap. He is a bit, though, isn't he? He is a bit crap. Yeah, like, like if you were if you were given like, so say you went to a restaurant and like a Tom Curry was a, 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 a like presented to you or a Hamish Watson, you'd be like. Hamish Watson all day, mate. Tom Curry is the chicken tikka masala of the of the curry world. It's you know, it's what people who don't really understand curry order. Yeah, it's basically two chilies and you order an extra naan bread as well. Just <laughs> and you're you're really really disappointed that you didn't just order all the pakora. Oh, I filled up on naan bread. I don't want this Tom Curry. <laughs> <laughs> So what? So is there a is there a section then? Once Watson gets announced as a lion, um, is there a section on what curries the various Scots players who get picked are? I think there's something in that, yeah. Because I mean, Although Chris I'm... Harris immediately is a like a Celanese korma, like safe, <laughs> solid, not very exciting, but does <laughs> a job. You, you know that planet rugby thing, like the who's who's hot and who's ice. Oh, who's hot and who's not? Yeah. 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 Can we do it on curry scale? Of curry? We'll just yeah. adapt that for our lions. We'll do adapt it who's, to curry who's scale for the no loo? other reason. Who's going to the loo? We'll call it to the Tom Curry scale. Absolutely, got Tom yeah. Curry, very mild at the bottom, right up to you know a, a searing <laughs> hot curry. I think with Chris, I'm thinking Chris Harris is more of the kind of curry that sneaks up on you the next day. You know, it's, <laughs> You're watching it and you're thinking this. You're watching, thinking, "Well, it's all very good and it's a, it's a lovely curry." But then the next day, you 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 watch the watch the highlight show back and you're going, "Whoa, that's hot!" <laughs> he's, a, he's a madras. That's weird. I, I mean, I'm Chris getting Madras-Harris. from Harris. Chris Madras Harris. I'm getting from your. You, you know, you get like so when you go to the supermarket and you get those like, like they're not even labelled what type of curry they are. It's just like chicken curry. That's what well, that's what Tom Curry basically is. He is an undisclosed curry. <laughs> yes, um, he's a magnificent, magnificent physical specimen, as Stephen Jones said. Oh, Stephen Jones. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. a guy who's a he's Shall a we waste go of a like a, hang, Hold that thought. Yeah, before we get too ranty about things not related to Scottish rugby, it is time for Hands in the Rug. Uh, we have got something on this. Um, it kind of continues a theme, so to speak. Um, this was on the uh, our super secret social media page. And let me scroll down and find out who it was. It was... Um, who said this? Somebody posted about Stuart Barnes. Dougal Mac. Uh, said Stuart Barnes being allowed near punditry in any way, shape, or form. The man is a buffoon and crassly underperformed on his own British Alliance appearances. At least he played a decent level, though. Stephen Jones, what even is he? And then he said some um, some 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 unfortunate, but but unfortunate <laughs> but very agreeable words about Stephen Jones. Um, this, for those that may not know, uh, Stuart Barnes did an article for the times he pooped himself in public for attention really um <laughs> did an article in the times where he said well he, the headline was Stuart Hogg is 
is a defensive liability. But the article seemed to say, I have concerns about Stuart Hogg's defensive defence, but then concluded by saying Stuart Hogg is very good at defence. So I don't really understand what the whole what what the point was, other than to it was clickbait. That's that is it in a nutshell. It is utter clickbait nonsense. He's no, no less a flawed fullback defensively than any other the, any of the other candidates that you would put forward at fullback for there's, the Lions. There's, there's like running jokes about fullbacks not being able to defend. It's it, it, it's a thing. Fullbacks are not they're not your like blindside flanker. They're not smashing people back in the tackle. A, a fullback that can defend is a fullback that's not attacking. Basically, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's one reply that agreed with him, and I mean, this is just that. I mean, this is the mentality of. Well, I assume this gentleman's English. Um, he might be flashy and have moments of brilliance, but not re- reliable enough and doesn't have that solid as a rock imposing vibe. Because that's what everyone thinks about fullbacks, isn't it? <laughs> solid def- as a rock imposing vibe. Pick Mike, uh, Mike Brown then for Mike fullback. Yeah. Oh, yes, I would love a bit underpaced Mike Brown. Solid as a rock. Did you see Hogs try at the weekend? Like, I, I yeah. actually. Unbelievable. I flicked over, so I, I got in the house and I put on the television and I was like, oh, there's some rugby on. Fantastic. Just as Hog put that spiral kick in. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay, we're doing this. Okay, okay we're doing this. Right. There's why Hog's 15. Everybody else can go and ram it. I have a theory about that kick. Because when you watch it back, it does the, the spiral. Guy. Well, I think he does the spiral kick. I think he's hoping it goes to touch. And as soon as it leaves his boot, he thinks... Oh, that's not going to touch. <laughs> and so, like, just leathers after it and catches Johnny, it and then scores a try. You see Johnny Gray pointing at him, sort of like, yeah, there's no one back there, by the way. Go. Cool. <laughs> <He's> like, oh, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, cause the, the defensive line, because there's the injury in the middle of the park, mm. it's, like, clear. He, like, he just punts it straight over it. And it's like, oh, oh, that's on. <laughs> I don't know where this thing about Stuart Hogg not being good in the air comes from as well, because it, it's not something we that's see him do a lot hat. for... We don't see him do it a lot for Scotland, but I don't think he's asked. He's not put in the. If you look at them positionally, he's the, the what he's given to do is he stands next to the receiver in the air. They pass to him, and then he leathers it up the field. He's not put in positions to catch and compete for the ball. It's 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 all tap from as Ian rightly says. It's all tap from his early days where he was a turnstile in defence and couldn't catch the ball in the air. But he could run like nobody's business and can kick like an absolute cannon. I'm not going to deny that Williams <coughs> is better in there than him, and Keenan arguably is as well. But you know, Stuart Branson suggesting these two ahead of him. Hugo Keenan's got what, 11 caps for Ireland. You know, so if he doesn't, th- if he thinks that South Africa are going to put well bomb after bomb up on Stuart Hogg. To test them out, you don't think they're going to do that to a guy who's only played eleven international matches, um, you know. And it, my main gripe with this whole thing is you don't get these hatchet jobs highlighting minor flaws that players make. You know, he goes on about how uh, he got stepped by uh, Paulo Odoku. He's like, oh, but you know, imagine if, if Paulo Odoku can do that. What will Cheslin Colby do to him? Cheslin Colby does that to everyone. He done it to Joe <laughs> Marlon and Owen Farrell in the World Cup final, and you still want to take Owen Farrell, don't you? 
So shut your mouth. <laughs> Martin so... Bell says, uh, one of the great things about the expansion in online rugby punditry in recent years is you don't have to trouble yourself with Jones and Barnes' output. They're the whales online of the broadsheet world and should be treated <laughs> with the indifference they deserve. Well said. Absolutely. I think the problem, the problem is that I was saying on, in response to this on Twitter this weekend that there's this... Um, almost like a smear campaign going on and with certain sections, particularly the English press, what is the English press really, that I get particularly with this, whenever a Scottish player is suggested, they kind of seek to undermine them. But I don't I don't really get what they, to what end that is other than getting rage clicks from north of the border because it's not like Warren Gatlin's going to pick up the, you know, sit in the coaches meeting with Gregor Townsend and Gregor Townsend's going, well, why are we not taking Hamish Watson and... Stuart Hogg and Warren Gatlin as well. Have you, did you have you, did you not see what Stuart Barnes and Stephen Jones said? No, Greg Hogg, fair enough. No, I've read that. You're right enough. They say he's <laughs> crap. That's me. I'm not going to fight the corner anymore. I, this, I think it it would appeal to a certain section of their base. Um, however, you think though, you know, if they really wanted to wind them up, they should praise the Scottish people. Um, <laughs> they get more clicks. They definitely yeah, get more clicks. Get more that comments. Way. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe they are under. Uh, deluded view that their view is influential. Like I think so having met Stuart Barnes, the guy is and I'm I may know like it's there's a comment on the the YouTube page saying Barnes is a complete and utter hammer. Let's let, let's say hammer, right? I don't know. But having met Barnes, he is an absolute hammer. Um he's not not very clever. And I think he does believe that he has. Is this an a influence. where's Dougie Donnelly? When did you meet Stuart Barnes, John? I met Stuart Barnes at Murrayfield uh, one one uh, one fateful day. Um, so Stuart Barnes was there, and uh, Stuart Barnes was struggling to change the TV channel. It was absolutely mint, <laughs> and uh, I uh, I helped him set up the TV channel so he could watch the England game. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. It was Stuart like, Barnes which, cannot work a remote control. You heard it, it here absolutely first. cannot. So there's like so just down from the the press box. <laughs> that's, why, right, that's why all of his opinions are outdated because he's not been able to work the telly for you. Like. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, basically, he's still he's still working on repeats, mate. <laughs> he's in college. He, college at your line of duty, season one. <laughs> but uh, no, Stuart Barnes is an idiot. Um, like absolutely confirmed idiot he can't work a tv so um but i think he does believe he's got some sort of influence on the lions like he seems to think that his opinion actually matters and he puts it out there like you know i'm going to say what i think because then the lion selectors will take that into account they absolutely won't i think some of the other I, mean, oh, so, I saw someone this weekend saying, you know, there's articles this weekend saying, who's improved the Lion chances based on this weekend's premiership performances? And Danny Kerr was put up in it. You know, it's like, I mean, there's a yeah. point I don't... I'm, I, it's I like get... improving your chances from absolutely hee-haw to completely and utterly not a chance. There seems to be quite a push for Joe Marler coming as well. It's getting, like, there's been, obviously, like, former teammates like Chris Robshaw and that have been putting him in. Um... One of his teammates is it uh, is it Vincent Cock that's playing with him just now? Yeah, <coughs> that there's in like rugby pass or something. You know, there's the, it's just the a constant need to in. fill column inches with utter rubbish about the Lions, as though it's going to make a hapenia difference. You know, as though you know like, because former ex-pro 
picked somebody in Alliance 15 sponsored by investment firm you've never heard of as going <laughs> in Prince Warren and Gatlin's <laughs> do a selection for the tour. But, but then we have we have speculated in the past that the number of Welsh players was um, directly like so Mr Gatland uh, obviously there's financial reward for Lions players the the number of players on tour correlates to a payment to the union and there was speculation that Gatland had picked a few extra Welsh players to um, start to fund the Welsh rugby union's deficit I think the only um, the only kind of time I think you could say that he was definitely I think that the Welsh fans would say there's other times he was influenced by the media. He was definitely influenced by the media for the Geography Six thing with that backlash. I think he said in his autobiography that they weren't expecting that backlash to the Geography Six issue. That's why nobody got on apart from Finn Russell because of a head knocked to Dan Bigger and Alan Dell because again it was a I think that was a concussion as well or a yellow card and he had to come on and prop up. The scrum. He's so beautiful as well. He had the <laughs> best success rate of uh, any prop on that tour. One yep. scrum completed 100%. I mean, can you imagine being yeah. that successful and that beautiful? It must be like devastatingly hard. I mean, let's not get, he does play for London Irish. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, John. <laughs> I know, but that's by choice. He's doing it ironically. He's like the hipster <laughs> of rugby. Well, speaking of, that's a bit of news. Uh, oh, there's two bits of news we can do for. See, look, look at this. Here's, here's some Edinburgh stuff to counteract John being rude with them. Um, Mike Valencia is going to be off to London Irish. That's a good move for Edinburgh. Uh, <laughs> I know, Dave Cherry, come on. They've signed a new lock. Uh, they have. His name Pierce, Pierce Phillips, says his name. From yep. a, a, it seems a bit, a bit of a journeyman, to be yeah. fair. But um, Fraser McKenzie's announced his instant retirement. So Immediate I assume retirement, it's, a, yes. it's yeah. just a kind of depth I mean, replacement for him. To be fair, like an immediate retirement age 33 is like, I mean, that's a bold statement, but <laughs> it's going to be next week. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, they've been playing Magnus Bradbury at Lock the uh, last couple of, couple of games, so obviously they're down to the bare bones there. Magnus Bradbury, who got um, absolutely overlooked for the France game by Ryan Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> God help us all. <laughs> Um, John, what's at his hands in Europe this week? Do you know, it was, um, so I've been re-watching a lot of old Scottish rugby um, matches. I've, I've had a wee bit of time in my hands to, to watch some of the, the classics, let's say. And uh, with all the stuff coming out about, so it, well, let's say this is tangentially um, related to Scottish rugby, but I noticed... Um, the Owen Farrell coming back for Saracens to lead a victorious Saracens clan to an absolute pumping of Doncaster. Hi, that's right. Doncaster, guys. Hey! Um, <laughs> they had Mike Cusack playing, I think. <laughs> the Coos still going. <laughs> yes. That's beautiful. See, uh, unfortunately, I didn't see the match, but I, I think I saw that on Twitter somewhere. <laughs> You just knew the you know the coup just done all the scrums and and loved life. But I was watching the um the that twenty nineteen match back and um the hit on Darcy Graham from Owen Farrell 
the the one that he doesn't get anything for other than you know a sore let's say shoulder let's be generous mm-hmm. um and it just reminded me of how much of a disgusting little thug Owen Farrell is and the fact that he is being celebrated by the media for coming back for the cheaters that are Saracens and they're going to amateur clubs and drubbing them and this is some sort of indication of his brilliance is utterly disgusting and the press that are celebrating it should be utterly ashamed of themselves. Yeah. Interestingly, Steve Tandy and Gregor Townsend were watching Saracens this weekend. Duncan Taylor is so gone in the Lions tour. <laughs> <laughs> Duncan, I, I think Duncan Taylor must have knew these attorney because, like, there is serious like questions as to why he's been in every squad, despite the fact he is actually like he is more injured than like there's sixty year old rugby retirees that are less injured than than Duncan Taylor, and he gets into Scotland squads. He just, you know, it's it's the hair. It's beautiful hair, isn't it? Yeah. I actually, so just on the topic of hair, I, as part of my addiction to buying rugby tops, I am now the proud owner of a Worcester Warriors top. <laughs> I think we might have to stage an intervention at this. Uh, <laughs> for you, John. There's some serious, serious far. issues going on here. Shop till you drop. Yeah. <laughs> It was available. Um, what can I say? The uh, we've had a hands in the rock on Twitter. Ian, Ian McGilp says uh, his hands in the rock is the responses to the RFU's tweet announcing their inclusivity commission being exactly what you'd expect, but no less depressing for it. Apparently, making rugby open to black and minority ethnic uh, working class people is a far left Marxist insurgency. Hmm. Well, I saw that um, somebody on Facebook on England's like, official page they'd said that uh, it was England players taking the knee um, was why they performed so badly in the Six Nations uh, and not that they were pish and played yeah. an incredibly negative style of rugby um, I, I've, I've avoided that but uh, I'm glad to see Hugo Monye, um taking up a role at that he's, you know, he's, he's a well known figure, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's well liked um, he he's, seems like the, the right man for the job there I'd like to see the SIU. I don't really see why the SIU couldn't do anything, nothing, something similar. I mean, particularly if you look at it. I mean, the, you know, it's we've talked about this before on the podcast. You know, the, the the kind of the ethnic makeup of Scotland is different to England in terms of percentages of the population being from different um, ethnic minority backgrounds. But I think it's still an undeniable that the you know, black and Asian and other minority ethnic populations are underrepresented in rugby in Scotland. And if the SRU were being true to the whole threads that bind us thing, then they would want to do something about that. And they've they've got a plan. They've got their lovely little diversity plan that I think last time I checked hadn't been updated since quarter three of 2012 or something, but <laughs> it's not yeah there's no reason they couldn't set up something similar and find out what you know what what are participation rates like in rugby why aren't black minority ethnic players able to rise to play in the pro game in Scotland just because it's more of a pronounced pro- problem in England I don't know but it doesn't mean that it can't be addressed in Scotland 
Well, there is also, also <coughs> excuse me, um, mainly the, the sort of class issue. Um, mm, yeah. That. Um, but, I mean, yeah, God, anybody, anybody that goes into, you know, anytime anybody goes near Murrayfield in anything other than red trousers and a... Red trousers and a flannel shirt. They think there's a Marxist insurgency in Edinburgh. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, I'll I'll defend them. It's not as bad as that now, but it used to be pretty bad. See, yeah. um, does, does like the the diversity remit of Ugo Moni, Does that also include trying to get more women involved in rugby? Because I'm just thinking there about your when you were talking about you know investing more. Um, the 1920 accounts also showed participation numbers, and Scotland are only picking from 2001 for, for 1920 annual year. 2,120 um, adult females were registered with Scottish rugby clubs, so it's not exactly a massive base to pick is from. That, is that no. all? So that's, yeah, that's... and then you know you've got your handful down south, and that's about it. So, I mean, you're still talking, so male participation rates are, what, 30,000 thereabouts? Uh, yeah, Maybe, I think it was 35. Yeah, yeah um, they're, thereabouts. So, yeah, I mean, that just shows the absolute challenge of, and, you know, we're, we're still competing on a national stage, and the challenge of putting putting together a, a, a vibrant women's game in Scotland is... And I think, is yeah, because you can really, outside of the cities, it's a real challenge, because... Yeah. You've got, you know, you have teams, successful teams like Open Lawn, for example, but to go and play a game, the travel that's then involved because they're going down to Glasgow to play you know, Glasgow yeah. Uni, for example, or something like that, that yeah. it's not. So out, women's rugby outside of the Glasgow and Embra is a, is a real challenge just because of the distances involved to play, play a game. Something maybe the universities, to your point there, Cam, the universities could be doing a bit more as well. Like if they if they're creating women's teams and getting girls interested in, in rugby at university level, then you know there's 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 an argument that that's one way to do it. There's also just the simple argument that we've made throughout this podcast that if you throw money at it, you know clubs will get involved. And there are clubs doing good. I mean, I know for Berwick, for example, if you know they've started a girls section a couple of seasons ago, and that's going really strong. And there's you know they've got women. Training Bishopton are absolutely the same. They've they, they created their women's section a couple of years ago, and uh, yeah, they've, they've they had their first fixture. I think it was last year, just before everything crashed down. So, um, yeah, there's there's lots of good there's lots of good work going in there to kind of increase the participation, which is yeah. which is good. But it's kind of what the over it it kind of strikes me that that's all down to the individual endeavours of a few clubs as opposed yeah. to anything kind of coming down from on high to try and foster that but see if you just put it on the bloody bbc and stopped hiding it in the eye player you would increase your participation well there was a really good there was emma emma Wasso was the uh, scottish rugby put out a, a video of emma Wasso talking about kind of her moments in rugby and i mean i was absolutely gone in the middle of it when she talks about a dad like honestly good then he then he watched that without a hanky Oh, no. Christ. Christ, that's a hard watch halfway through. But when she was talking about how she got into it, and basically, like, I think one of her friends, older sisters, went out, you know, from the club, went to her school and talked to her about it. You know, it's not like the SRU were parachuting somebody in to say, you know, you know, kind of pounding the tarmac, you know, and going in the school saying, come and play rugby. It was someone for the local club went along and say, if you fancy a game, come down. 
So a lot of the stuff isn't, like you said, it's not coming from up on high. It's kind of local yeah, clubs doing it. You notice that as well when you when you're in and around these clubs. There's it's individuals. It's always there's a couple of individuals that are really pushing the agenda. And certainly that you know that's that's been true. Of not certain individuals, but there's 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 been a collective group of people at Bishopton that have kind of pushed for having a women's team, and rightly so. And it shouldn't come down to individuals at clubs to do that. It should be, you know, it should be the national remit. There should be a one size fits all. We we need clubs to have women's teams. It, it just yeah. shouldn't be negotiable. I think it used to be you get more money, you get more funding for that. You do, I think there is financial incentives for having women's sections at your teams. I think there is money that you get from the SIU and grants and stuff, but um, it's been a while since I've checked. checked double those double it, details. triple it. Yeah. Do do whatever needs to be done because, yeah. you know, we need to be giving people... Rugby's meant to be accessible. We've said this so many times on the podcast. It's meant to be accessible. It's not bloody accessible. It is a joke with regards to accessibility. Give people the opportunity to play. Ian, did you have hands in the ruck? Um, the Barnes thing is one of them. Um, one of them, uh, I think this might also be yours, going on what we said earlier, when I mentioned Fiji Drua. Um, so we've got uh, the two new Super Rugby franchises, Fiji Drua and Moana Pacifica, being set up. Um, but whereas any other Super Rugby franchise or Super Rugby Aotearoa, uh, franchise, you'd only be allowed to have two players who aren't um, eligible for the All Blacks on your roster. Uh, with these two new franchises, it will be eight players. Um, so rather than these players just being uh, eligible for you know, Samoa or Tonga or Fiji, they are going to fill them with possible uh, players who are eligible for the All Blacks, which is kind of like what they've been doing all along. I don't see. It doesn't seem like it's level playing field. You know, they're no. sort of playing the, the sort of. Oh, look here, here we are setting up a pathway for the Pacifica uh, teams. Yeah, but you're also doing it slightly un- underhandedly or with you know a, a loaded uh, loaded dice. Yeah, it's not a yeah. And there was, I think, this kind of uh, there was a leaked recordings of I think somebody the person in charge of the competition saying that it was untapped potential and. The, the, they weren't talking about markets when they're talking about untapped potential. They're you know, obviously talking about players. I think I would, the one thing I was wondering about this is whether or not the. I know there are ways around this for people and unions, but I think there comes a point at which World Rugby have to say, have to ban competitions, putting limits on the number of players that have to be French qualified or English qualified or. Um, New Zealand qualified in top flight competitions, like at the professional level. I mean, it might be, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe we find further down, but certainly at that kind of level, it's it's preventing other countries from their players being able to develop. It's, it's stifling the market almost as well. That It can then be done the decision of individual clubs, for example, you know, to whether or not they want to go with that, whether or not they want to kind of fill themselves with foreigners. It's, but I think it's not fair for like in the English premiership, the RFU give money to clubs depending on how many players they've got, which is fine. You know, there's a financial incentive there. That's fine. But I think it's different to say, you know, you've, you can only have so many players in your team that are 
qualify for the All Blacks. So you, know, you can only have eight players who aren't qualified for the All Blacks, which is a completely different thing. I think France have got quotas as well now as well. It's back to, back to that old argument many, many moons ago and you guys are old enough. You guys are both older than me, just to drop that back in there. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, both remember the uh, European quota that used to exist and that you could only have three foreigners in your team in football. Yep. I remember uh, the championship manager 2000. It was a nightmare, wasn't it? Absolute uh, nightmare. Aye, you would play as Man United, you would have Kinchelskis, Cantona, and one one t'other, and then like you would be trying to sign like some decent players from AC Milan, and oh, hard hard going, mate, hard going. But yeah, but there is there's still there's still quotas in place in like so for example in both the pro let's call it the pro X because we don't know how many teams are in it. There's there's rules regarding uh, match day squads. You mm-hmm. have to have a certain number of uh, call pack qualified players like so so your national your national kind of eu plus call pack it's the same in the heineken cup mm. so we do have these rules in place um and they you know uh, i think ratu tagivi had talked about how it actually impacted him quite significantly in his first few years at glasgow because he just couldn't get in a squad because mm. we didn't have space for him yeah, and it does, and it's it's Steve, That's where the tier two nations and tier two players are, are going to struggle because they can't break through these quotas. And yeah. if you want to give them more opportunity, then you just get rid of them all. I don't. You get rid of them all together, and then it's down to individual unions how they manage that. You could manage it through financial. You could manage it through financial incentives for the clubs. I think it would be one way to do it. But to have yeah. kind of strict limits and strict kind of rules saying you 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 must pick. You must only have so many foreign players or non-qualified players in your squad or a match day squad or in your squad overall. It just seems I think mad. There, there has to be a limit on the financial incentives as well because like, even thinking about, right, looking at the Premiership, you've got guys like like Cameron Edpath, for example, Gary Graham. You know, there's, there's guys, guys who've almost in some ways not declared for Scotland. You know, Cameron Edpath could have been a Scotland international a year ago, two years ago. But for various reasons, there would have been pressure on him not to do that because, you know, his club received money for being an English qualified or a potentially English qualified player. And as soon as he declares for Scotland, they lose that funding. So there has to be a limit on how much financial incentive, because then governing bodies have the ability to influence the national game. They have the ability to say, do you know what? I think Cam Redpath shouldn't be Scottish, so I'm going to give his club a million quid for every English qualified player that they can produce. Oh, look, Cam, Cam's dual qualified. Oh, but you're getting a million quid for him. So how about you, you yeah. put that in his contract as well, eh? It just, skew, it just skews the whole kind of recruitment process, doesn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, if you can cut, if you choose, if as an English club, you come up and you see two promising young Scots players and one's got an English granny, you take him because there are a few of you give you a bung essentially or, or you've got an, uh, you've got a Scottish boy but if you get him doing a good university nice and early or a good school nice and early and then a good university and then hope he doesn't go back up to Glasgow and then non-son back down to, to Gloucester then you, when you then you multiply that with it well you kind of reduce it down to the level of the tier two and what was discussed in you know, Oceans Apart where you've got guys being taken to France and to New Zealand really young and put in schools and exploited so that they can get their residency to then 
fulfill fill those quotas, even if it's not to be an all black, even if it's just that, well, we can then get you a promising young player, we can then get you in under our all black quota because you qualify on residency. We can get you into our French quota because you qualify on residency because we brought you over when you were 17, 18 um, and put you up somewhere. But if you didn't have those quotas, then those players might come across a lot later. There wouldn't be the need or the pressure to kind of get them in under residency. But Well, that, that's the thing. And ultimately, that's all back to residency rules. And, you know, almost there's an argument... <sighs> Let's let's get slightly uh, slightly out there. There's an argument that the five year residency rule is just going to exacerbate that um, because ultimately you want an international rugby player to be 20, 25, 26 when he makes his debut, maybe slightly younger. You want to get maximum return on your investment. If you're having to do five years residency mm-hmm. before you get that, you're going to bring them over 15, 16. It's, it starts to get a bit silly, doesn't it? Whereas three years, you know, a guy like Duhan van der Merwer can come over. He had ambitions of being uh, a springbok. Didn't quite work out for him. And he came over and he's now playing international rugby. And fair play to him. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's an argument that residency is... Uh, five years is way too long. Yeah, we've been we've been here. We have a whole Patreon special on this. We sure do. Yes. <laughs> so if you want to listen to that, you have to subscribe to our Patreon. We're not going to give away spoilers for that. Um, any more for any more from either of you? If we cover, I think we've covered everything this week. No, I'm good here. I think. I think we've... Uh, an hour and thirty three minutes later. Yeah. There we go. We've got, no, we've got to, we've got to the hour mark. And I thought we're nearly once, done. Once we take away the theme music, it's a it's a bang on hour and a half, really, isn't it? So yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Lovely that's stuff. What, that's well, what we give. Thank you very much, guys, for listening this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll have a review of uh, Scotland women versus um, versus Wales. Um, we'll probably, on Monday, think that's probably all we've got to discuss, and then the whole <laughs> of world rugby will go on fire by the time we come to broadcast, as it da- always Danny does. Danny Wilson will, will hire 7 billion Fijian rugby players for Glasgow Warriors. <laughs> the European Champions Rugby Super League will be announced. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which Leinster will win every year. Um, and on that note, <laughs> it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Ian and John. Cheating. Night, folks.